So hi, this is Florian for 99 Startups and I have today a new guest. So would you be so kind to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, I'm, I'm Jakob. Um, and yeah, I, I was born and raised in Berlin. I currently run my own consulting company. And yeah, what, what can I tell you? So I, I, I think I should start with like a super lengthy CV, but... I don't know how how should we proceed. <laughs> um, I like it if the if the people start on the beginning of the journey, like not not with the child uh, at the school time, but like after school. What were your first steps? Uh, how did you pursue your career? Even if people have a hard <laughs> time after school thinking about their career. So, um, what were your first steps um, after you finished school? So uh, actually, my, my first goal was to um, get a professional athlete, and I, th that didn't come true. Uh, so I, I had to stop um, at the same time where I finished my, my high school. Um, so I decided, uh, because I started already at the age of 14, together with my dad, to write some uh, programs. So I started with a calculator and then um, later on did some more uh, fancy programming stuff. So um I felt like uh, maybe if I'm not like a pro professional athlete, then I can go and uh, study informatics. And that's exactly what I did. But I um, wanted to be um, like already financially independent from my parents. So I opted in for a, a dual study. So it's like a combined study where you work like three months for a company and then you um, study three months um, back and forth um, and that's exactly what I did and I was lucky enough to uh, get that engagement with uh, shielding uh, which today is by a farmer so it's like the farmer part um, from uh, the huge pharmaceutical company um, Bayer uh, the German one and um, yeah so I studied there three years uh, informatics um, did a bachelor's degree and found out because I was running uh, like directly into the M&A um, process, so the, the merger with Bayer, uh, which happened exactly in my last year of my studies. So um, during that year, it was like getting more and more obvious that um, you know working for the R&D department and building like software models, the things that I was interested in, um, wasn't going to happen in Berlin. Uh, I, at that point in time, I wanted to stay in Berlin very much so um i said okay then it's maybe it's not sharing for me in the future or buyer uh, so i go out and look for something else and um again i was lucky and ended up with hypoport um uh, which is a company which is um la the largest financial marketplace for private mortgages in germany and i stayed there for five years and i would say like This company definitely was building the foundation of everything I I did later on. So it's like all the principles that I have in mind when I run, um, when I build products, when I run software departments, um, I, when, when I work with teams and people, I definitely get from that company. Um, so they were early on in the whole agile movement. Um, and it was not like just, hey, come on, we do Scrum and we just build the best practices. But... It was really like um, we we embrace the principles, we eliminate waste, um, we, we make sure that we constantly are challenging ourselves on if we are building the right thing, we really value the customer feedback that we are getting. Uh, we are not like just making two, two-week sprints 
and um, basically follow just a, a small waterfall, but we are really like using the agile methods to build the product and shape it in a way that, that customers really could use it. And uh, that was for me, like seeing that happening in, a, in, a, in an industry that is also like highly regulated and where like the financial control mechanisms are, are complicated and where you need to have really like this ability to show why certain products like mortgage products look the way they are, how documents need to be built and stuff like that. And we still were able to, to build software at a very high standard, already have like continuous deployment. We were able to ship and build software, ship it into production within 12 minutes. And that was like in um, like 2010. So uh, people really would, it wasn't state of the art. So very, very cool experience. And then in my last year at Hippoport, I also managed to get on a leadership talent program, uh, which was a very intense phase. Um, still super interesting because um, I learned a lot about like train the trainer, moderation techniques, de-escalation stuff, negotiation. Um, we even had, had an actor, also a trainer who was um, teaching us how to how to yeah do speeches on the stage and be authentic and mean what you're saying. Um, so yeah, very lucky again that I that I could jump on that program, uh, which which ever since had served me well in, in the rest of my career. And, you and after five years, always as developer. So you started there as a developer in, in agile yeah. teams, or yeah, I started as a, as a developer, um, as a junior developer, and then our uh, year advanced over the course of five years into the domain architect, uh, which basically uh, was a software architect, but with a stronger focus on uh, like building the real um, uh, financial domains inside the the product. And at that point in time, I was um, uh, uh, responsible for the uh, mortgage place, uh, the financial mortgage place of the Netherlands. And um, the reason why I then uh, moved away from Newport was because the financial crisis hit pretty hard. Oh, okay. And yeah, they it hit first in the Netherlands. <laughs> like if you look in, it started in the US, but then if you look into Europe, um, the Netherlands were one of the things that were hit uh, first. And that meant that basically the business that we were in were, was dead from one day to the other. Okay, uh, no. And um, then there were huge discussions on what are we going to do with the software? Do we sell it to one like, company in the Netherlands or do we close the team? And there wasn't really room for me to like further grow. So I couldn't get into a position of team lead or something else. Although I, I really enjoyed working with the people there and still like admire everything that, that they did. Um, there was just not at least in my viewpoint, there wasn't enough room for me to, to make the next step. And that was the main reason why I decided to move away there. And I went to um, DHL. Um, I started there as an architect um, together with a nice ensemble of um, Berlin uh, now tech leads. How did you find the job? Did, they, did you just apply or did they approach you or how did the transition come up like uh, <laughs> I was actually one of my best friends um, uh, Oli um, who I was working with at, at, at Hippoport um, if you um, who was a good friend of uh, the uh, product uh, chief who was starting there and, and was assembling the team 
he was approached by um, by that guy, and then Oli said, uh, "You know, uh, Jacob, you you want to join?" And I said, "Oh yeah, sounds like a great opportunity. Why not?" <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so so we together left Superport and and joined the DHL, and then we kind of split. Um, so after like six months um, of doing a lot of architecture work there, which was a pretty technical role. Um, so um, we were uh, completely automating um, and re-architecting the entire um, EPOS brief at that point in time, uh, which was a huge monolithic system, a lot of like dependencies and circular dependencies between different deployment artifacts. Yeah, a nightmare in in startup. Uh, uh, like if you had to uh, do a maintenance and you needed to know what's the right order in which to start the servers correctly. A huge Oracle extra data set up beneath. So really a lot of, of capital that was that we deployed into the <laughs> data centers, which was quite a quite an experience. Um on that, that that you actually could build such a, a highly complicated and coupled system. So it took us um, a lot of effort and time to decouple that system. Um, uh, it's also an open source project around Open Yebula. Um, so even the Deutsche Post um, uh, then went into the um, <laughs> open source space <laughs> because we, we said it's a nice thing to do. Um, yeah, and that was um, uh, quite a right de- decoupling that and building then the new architecture, building a new team in Berlin. So it was formerly in um, um, Cologne Bonn, and now we were completely rebuilding a new team a lot of hiring, um, a lot of technology that we introduced, a lot of culture. So the way people were working at so DHL at that point in time. You introduced for them um, agile methods, right? Or did they already have working agile? They, they, they were working in sprints, but it was mainly like um, like a traditional company setup where you have like the, the product guys writing huge amounts of documents saying what they think they need. And um, unless the complete list is done, you can never go into public and present that to, to any customer. And uh, then the agile, agile methods were only applied in like the engineering departments. And that is, that is from my point of view, always weird because it's, it's like you, you just pretend to, to be agile. The agility doesn't come from like having having smaller iterations when Agile is like working with your customers and understanding how they use your product to improve your product in a, in a, in a way um, uh, so that they can use it better. And that also means that you change priorities on a regular basis because what you what you, you see how your customers are using your product and that directly feeds back into what you need to build next and how you need to change the product and even how you need to change features that you've already built. And yeah, Bringing that into the equation was one of the main things that we that we did there, um, next to like like decoupling the system and um, making it easier to decompose, getting rid of side effects. And stuff. How did you go to introduce that? Like, um, did you like what was your strategy to teach a big, slow company um, <laughs> to to do the, the the things in the right way? Ah, I mean, first of all, it wasn't just me. So I was lucky enough to, to work with uh, a lot of smart guys uh, who had similar experience. Um, so it was a nice ensemble from people from from Hippoport and Immobilien Scout. 
at this point in time, we also were had Oliver Zeiler, which was the uh, former CTO of, of Immobilien Scout, um, as uh, the guy that we reported to. He did a lot of the um, political um, discussion that you need to do or whenever you work on that on that level in a, in a huge corporate. And he was doing a great job of giving us the freedom to to do what we think was right. And um, that was, um, we've got a lot, a lot of like discussion and understanding like how the company was working at this point in time and why they believed it was a good thing. Um, on the other hand, I was like still super young um, and um, super, super like, um, you know, like, dynamic and full of energy and so on everything needed to be changed at the same time so because that was, was like yielding the best results um like looking at it from from the perspective now like nearly nearly 10 10 years later i was definitely uh just way too many things at the same time that i wanted to change or that we as a group wanted to change so um being a little bit more patient um, changing one step at a time, showing that this is a positive result, and building up on that, so building more trust into the into the group, into the um, uh, yeah, would have been the smarter way. So it was very yeah. much like like we Germans say with um, Brechstange. Um, yeah. So we were using a lot of force um, because we, we had power for sure. Um, we we there was a decision that we were moving about the, the responsibilities um, to Berlin. Um, we were basically hiring most of the team completely new um, to the standards that we needed, which made the change for us a lot easier because, like, they were they were not absorbed by the by the old company culture. They didn't know they didn't really know how how people have been working in Cologne before. Um, so that was uh, in Bonn. Um, so that was really helping having having a fresh team and uh, cleaning that up. Still, like the interfaces that we had to to the old part of the company. Um, there was a lot of friction at the beginning, and I, I would even say that even even when I left, although we did a lot of good things and we changed a lot, um, the friction never really went away. I was still okay. like we, from a product perspective, this is what we think, and then the the people like building it uh, were mostly treated like the extended workbench um, instead of okay, they also own parts of the product and are responsible yeah. for the yeah. quality that gets there. Yeah which we always wanted to be, um, but I'd say never really achieved. Okay, interesting. But like the, the product guys were sitting with you in Berlin, right? Like the, the product people were part the, of The product people, yes, um, but like the product heads, so the, the CPO of yeah. Epostbrief, um, he like spent a major part of his time uh, uh, working together with the other C-level guys in, in Bonn in the headquarters. Um, which like giving the political situation and the money that has already been invested and that they were responsible for to, to safeguard it and make it a success, which also never happened. Uh, it makes total sense because it's a, that was a highly political topic, you know, that needed to be, be put like in the, in the right spot. Um, so it's, and, and that, that also, but no, that also led to a certain disconnect. Um, so it's, um, yeah, I would do it completely differently today. I'd also advise to do it differently. <laughs> so um, to catch up some people, um, the EPOS brief was uh, like was just uh, the the um, trial of the POS to make a thing between email and the the, the, mail. the email. 
Yeah, it was actually the uh, actually when they started, they saw that because they were like the the first one to build a product like that, like the secure email um, that they could influence the email standard a lot, um, which in the end didn't turn out well uh, because it's the email turned out to be something different and uh, the e-post brief wasn't compatible to to the email. But also, I mean, the email is also something that probably most people don't know anymore that it ever existed. So the whole idea is is like um, e- email can be secure and could could have been secured already um, even when the e-post brief was, start, was started. But there were also a couple of good things that the the e-post brief um, like produced. So for example, having the the post ident system, um, which was the part that I was later leading as a as a technical lead, um, also a pretty huge unit. Which is a good product, and like a lot of people are using today, it's super simple. Now, when you want to open a, a bank account online, you just like have a call center call, video call. You can present your ID card, and it can be identified. So this is pretty slick. I, I mean, it's not like the most advanced technique, but having that um, um, a completely digital um, is, is definitely an advancement. The same is true for like the. Um, uh, a B2B gateway. So huge companies like Vodafone, Alliance, and others um, are able to to no longer have a print gateway. So it's basically yeah. they, whatever they have in terms of invoices or customer correspondence, they just like deliver online um, to, to DHL and then they process it. And then either, I mean, the idea always was to have like a, a uh, uh, yeah, something where you can, if, if you have an e-post brief, you get it directly in your digital mailbox. If not, you we, they print it out and they put it um, into a cover and then send it into your physical mailbox. Or you could even opt for both so that you get both at the same time. So that the whole idea behind that makes a lot of sense. I think nowadays it's just you deliver it online, the huge companies, and then it's just printed somewhere centrally and then sent out to, to where it needs to be. Yeah, but still, that it's a huge advancement, or uh, because it like allows um, huge huge corporates um, to, to not deal with that, and even for small ones. I mean, that's also if I look at my company now, that's we don't even have stamps in the office, <laughs> so why yeah. would we? <laughs> yeah, and like the yeah, exactly, and like the the cool thing is if they have if they were, would have been able to make it as a standard, it would have have been the option that like. You would know that like the 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 email is sent out, and you would need you wouldn't need to to send a letter, which helps a free resources list. So the yeah. idea was good, as we said. It was just yeah. an, at least not on all parts good executed because how you said like some parts that uh, survived, but the the whole concept for the also for the private user yeah. is not relevant anymore, and probably it would have been um yeah it would have been needed to survive the private part that like the whole system um, gets the full value out Mm -hmm. yeah Um, yeah it's also it's very difficult for a company like like dhl to to really engage in that kind of 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 business and it's it's different and it's a it's a traditional company it was even like formerly known it, it was like publicly like like by the public sector it's a governmental institution for a very long time and still it's like the major shareholders so it's it's very very hard to get out the processes on in place that you need and all the thinking that you that you need to to really um 
yeah, make, make that difference for, for a customer and think like a customer. So it's, everything is always more complicated and it's very difficult to take a certain risks um, in, that, in that type of environment, um, which is understandable, yeah. but doesn't yield the results that you, that you expected. If you compare exactly. yourself to companies like, I don't know, Tesla or Apple or Amazon. Yeah. And that would have the chance if you had an agile team there to get exactly that out. So if the agile team works really closely with certain customers or with customers and listen to them, this would have been the chance to, to build it in a way that they want to use it. And also probably on the side, it's, it's sometimes also a marketing issue. So I, I, yeah. I found out, I don't know. Um, some months ago that like you can create online and, and stamp you just write per pen on a on a on a mail <laughs> and yeah. it's existing since ages and like yeah. i never heard of it <laughs> but it's like okay guys okay that's you have to just a number <laughs> yeah <laughs> just didn't push it out in the world is letting people know um yeah. but yeah But that's a part of the of the whole thing, you know. Like like you need to get your thing to in the hand of your customers. So, and yeah. if, sorry, like you can have the best product in the world. So if you don't bring it out to the people, and then they they do it by word of mouth or do it by advertisement. So sorry, like yeah, you can have the best product in the world, and nobody knows it exists. You're doomed. What, do do? <laughs> what, what happened what? after after your your Post journey, like why did you leave there? Why, why, why did that leave? Um, so I, I left DHL mainly because um, uh, Oliver Seiler, so the, the CTO at that point in time, uh, left the company. And there was a lot of exposure for me to the rest of the organization. So I had to travel at least once a week to uh, the headquarters. At this point in time, I, was, uh, I just had my third kid. Um, so that was uh, putting a lot of strain on, on myself and, and uh, my family. And also I was suddenly exposed to much more politics. Um, and I, I didn't understand why those were needed back in th this point in time. So for me, they always felt like a, like a waste of time. And I was also super clumsy and bad at this point in time in, in like understanding politics and consciously deciding on which part of them I want to participate and which I just want to ignore. Um, so it was very, very overwhelming, um, and I didn't enjoy it. And, um, so I didn't like really feel that I could have a huge impact anymore. And I, I'd say, uh, like right from the start of my career, I, I was always impact driven. So when, when I felt I could make a change and make a difference, I was happy with that. And if I couldn't, I was uh, pretty, pretty fast getting upset and, um, uh, lost motivation. Um, so you, that was the main reasons why why I left then. Yeah, if you could go back in time and talk to yourself there, how you would you explain to yourself why politics is important or how to and how to play the politics? What would you say to yourself? Um, <laughs> um, listen to understand rather to answer. That would be my main advice because back back in the times so I, I always considered myself like the smart kid um, who who always understands very fast like intellectually what's what needs to be done and I and mean, this is still right that I was most 
most of the time, like for the given situation and the problem that I thought was the problem, I also had a solution. Um, but the problem is that most of the time it's, it's not about that problem, but it's about like what, what either that people actually want to achieve when that problem is solved. Do they actually have an interest in solving that problem? And uh, what either that, that they actually are, makes them sit on the table. Have they been sent by their bosses? Have they like a personal agenda behind that? And like surfacing that and uh, like asking a lot of questions to understand what makes the people say what they say. And then start working with that is something that I just couldn't see back at that point in time. And um, I need to learn. And um, yeah, I'm still not, not, not perfect at that, but I think it's at least I'm aware of the fact that I, if something goes sideways, um, uh, it's, it's not because other people are like stupid, but my, 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 my internal attitude is I haven't understood well enough what, where their head is and I need to spend more time getting finding out where their head is right now. Exactly. Yeah, and that's a really good point. Um, first seek to um, to understand before to be understood. And yeah. also probably I can imagine it's also a hard topic if a technical person speaks to a non-technical person. That's really yeah. interesting that like it's it's surprisingly hard to explain what you want and to understand what the person wants. It's, yeah. and, um, I'm surprised from time to time again um, how difficult this is to find a common ground in communication. And I studied yeah. economics slash computer science, so I'm supposedly in my name of my study, I should be good in doing it. <laughs> and, I'm, <laughs> and I'm still surprised from certain things that like, people don't understand me or I'm not able to understand fully the people yeah. I'm talking to. And um, yeah, but that's probably, yeah, that's part of the technical world we're living in. But like, yeah. um, find the common. Yeah, also to, to, give, to give a very recent example from one of our clients uh, that we are working with right now. So um, we had a lot of discussions around products. And actually, at the beginning, I was assuming that everyone has the same understanding of what's a product. Yeah, turns out that's very different depending on whom you're talking to, although they work in the same company. So for one person, also they are building something like a marketplace. So for one person, the products are whatever is sold on the marketplace. So that could be a T-shirt, could be a pencil, whatever. This is a product for that particular person. Um, For, for another person, the product is like the service that is offered, um, which surrounds the transaction. So like getting getting a pencil from A to B, and then there's a service around it. So there's insurance, there is like the, the buyer's insurance that you have for that, and that service is a product. And for the third person, the product is actually the software that is built. So it's, everyone talks about the product and they are talking to each other using the word product and everyone assumes that the others are meaning the same product, which they don't. Oh, that's the, very interesting. The most interesting part about this, none of them is wrong. That's like also no. interesting. There's, you can't say you are wrong and you're right. The right thing would be to, to test on a certain direction to figuring out what, what's the useful definition for the company. So yeah. 
like because if you're figuring out, hey, you know what, I can sell this marketplace to someone else, then this marketplace is the product. If you're figuring out the service is the main thing which drives the sales, then like the service is the product. If you're figuring out, not damn it, it's just about like the the, the buy button is hit it, and this is the, like yeah. the transition, like the the funnel transition is like the main point. Then this is the one they should focus on. Like it's it's just it's like always where to focus on and like what's to drive forward. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, one big learning out, out of that also for, for us was to we, we started to, to prefix product, right? Um, uh, so that we have like the, the, the digital product or the, the marketplace product and the, the service product, the service offering. And so we really have like just put, put something that puts it all into context right in front of it. So just add another word, like a namespace in order to make sure that, that, that we all know what we're talking about. And um, that, that already improved communication a lot, reduced a lot of friction and um, like cycling back to, 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 to my um, uh, DHL or, or EPOS experience, that, that's exactly the thing that I was, that I was missing out uh, uh, back in those days because I was just not aware enough of, of those differences. And you know, a lot of the friction uh, from my point of view now could have been removed if, if I or we as a group would have been more aware to those um, details and um, uh, have uh, would have taken more time to surface those those differences. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, you said like you you missed the impact on this point, and that's the reason why you you looked for another challenge. So, yeah. uh, what what followed in your journey? What was the next stop? Uh, the next step, the next step was um, a year two. Uh, that was a smart home startup. Uh, so our vision when I joined was to build the Android um, for the home. So building an operating system um, that puts um, everything in your home together. So your your heating device, your doorbell, your TV, your smart speakers. So everything that you that you have in your home that could be smart, just put together. Um, and integrate it into one like huge platform and then offer that um, uh, as an open um, platform and API so that other people could build meaningful applications uh, on that. So for example, like if you had a smart meter that measures your energy consumption and you had a solar system on your panel and you had an electric heating system, you could basically, um, uh, and you you could have a look in the internet um, uh, uh, where you see what are the current prices for putting that energy back into the grid. Um, you say, okay, based on the current price, uh, that would not be smart. So I'd rather like to use that energy to heat the water um, so I can save that energy and, uh, in, in, in thermal energy uh, because currently it's more effective. So this what was the, the offer that we sold. Um, and I was, um, yeah, quite a challenge. Uh, it's also like super big because it's so much more complex if you don't have an integrated device like a phone, but you have a distributed system, you have sensors, you need to understand like what sensor is actually trustworthy um, so that you can trust it so that no sensor can be introduced to the system to manipulate something. Uh, super difficult from a business model point of view um, because how do you sell it? Is it a white label solution? Is it a B2B solution? Is it something like like Android that can later be yeah. customized by the hardware producer? Is it just the software that we are building also uh, or are we also building the hardware? And um, 
Yeah, I started there as a software architect, so really designing the entire system. And after three months, I was promoted to CTO. And I, I had the pleasure to work together with um, Christopher Schleffer and Boris Maurer, um, which uh, are like people that I learned so much from. Um, so Christopher was former um, uh, chief product innovation officer at Deutsche Telekom. And um, he, together with Boris Maurer, who was leading the innovation practice of McKinsey for 15 years. Uh, so they, the two of them decided to found Yeto. And um, yeah, I was lucky enough, like nearly 20 years younger, they, they took me into their team, um, being the third partner in crime. Um, uh, first time for me being CTO, building a great team of like um, nearly 40 people. And, and building that building that product, I was able to like have a lot of discussions with um, board members from huge energy, like all energy um, uh, utilities in Europe, um, uh, all telcos globally. So up to like even then with Singtel, and so in Singapore, we we try to do business. Um, we we were in in India. Um, we were producing hardware in, in, in China and in Shenzhen. So really that, that was the moment where I, I traveled the world and was like visiting boardrooms of big shots um, that I, I really never ever thought I would ever meet in my life. Um, I had a lot of respect for that. And I, I really learned a lot of how things, how you negotiate, negotiate stuff, how you leverage your network, um, how you can approach people and um, ask for advice um, and how they happily give it. Uh, so that was very intense. I have to admit it was also strenuous for my family because I spent most of my time working and traveling the world instead of taking care of my then three kids. Um, but it was, I enjoyed that very much. And if like that company, um, after two years, um, we, we didn't get the, the B round, so the financing, um, like, um, yeah, the dreams crashed when that when that round didn't come true, um, mainly because Building Adventure, which, which was our lead investor, um, had to close down themselves at the okay. point in time where we needed the next round. And yeah, then we didn't get that round, and we had to um, yeah um, manage the um, insolvency of that company. And I was uh, emotionally draining, tough. Um, uh, I still like having the pleasure to have had work with those with those guys, with the entire team that we built there, which was a great ensemble. Um, yeah, I still look back at and and you see the smile on my face. I enjoyed that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you said you learned there a lot about um, business, negotiating, building up a network. So um, what were the, the, the key learnings you can give the listeners? Um, you... You took away there, like, how did you use the network? How did you build it up? How did you approach the negotiating? Um, negotiating? So the, uh, well, that are a lot of questions. So number one is um, my, my key learning is um, that you always should follow what you think is right. So follow your value system and be, be explicit about it. So knowing okay. what you value in, in life and in business as a person is important and being explicit about it and sticking to that, being consistent with that is, is super important from my point of view because people will notice 
when you're inconsistent, uh, that makes you less trustworthy and uh, you, that always is, is bad for you as a person and also for your business then. Yep. And number two is like build, building the network. Else, um, I, I didn't, I mean, I had a network back then, but I didn't really know how powerful it was. And on the other hand, the, the network of Boris and Christopher was so much more powerful than mine so that I really could basically jump Stand, stand on the shoulders of, of giants. So I, I, they, I basically piggybacked um, and, and I've met all those guys, which I then in my later jobs could always go back to and talk to and refer to and um, uh, ask for help and advice. And um, so this is the next thing that I, I think I learned in this phase is uh, that asking for advice and help is never a bad thing. On the contrary, it's actually a good thing um, uh, because you, you you elevate the person that you're talking to because you value their advice and they are super willing to give that advice. And I don't know if you know that also from your like personal experience, but if someone asks you for help, I, you need to be pretty dick if you turn it down. <laughs> and most people are not. <laughs> exactly. Um, And uh, so this is this is what I learned there, and that it's kind of that uh, uh, you never need to be afraid of, of asking something, um, and this is actually fine to do so. And this is also how the how the world actually works. It's like you you on yourself, also also I I on myself. I I'm super small and very powerless, but if if I if I like combine this with other people that I know and ask for help, and they join me in in my my pursuit. Um, that can become something powerful, but only if, if like I, I manage to, to, to align enough people and ask, ask for their help and they are willingly offering their support and then something magical can happen. Um, so this is, this is what I would take out of yeah. All that. Yeah. And then part of my life. It yeah. also combines nicely with what you said on the, on the, on the beginning of, of because alignment comes with if you can clearly say what your goals are and why they are and then you can figure out if you communicate well with him and understand <laughs> yeah <laughs> what his motivations is to check if you, if you can get an alignment together and then if yeah. it's clear that the alignment goes in the same direction then uh how you said then you can build a, something powerful together and it's definitely you're definitely right that like You so like yeah. You are you need a team to build something great. Like it doesn't matter yeah. who you are. Even Mr. Elon Musk um, don't build a Tesla on himself, and also not the rockets on himself. Nope. And um, there's a reason why I don't know how many thousand employees this companies have. <laughs> and um, yeah. probably if, if it would be possible to do it alone, he would have done it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I don't know him, so I, I can't tell. But yeah, it's uh, I mean the challenge that he that he puts out for himself and um, the people that he's working with are, are like big enough to to to, to cope to, with definitely. Uh, what what makes me curious and uh, why you guys were not able to sell it? Because as you told me, as you talked about this idea, um, for example, I think Connect are they called? Do something yeah. similar. I think Telecom has something also. They have also a smart hub or whatever. Keep, keep, keep so going, at, yeah. at least now, 
there's like several systems which do something similar because the, the, the idea is good and it's a nice, difficult technical challenge. And if you solve it well, it, it generates a nice experience. So uh, do you, I, can you give us, do you have an idea why you're not, haven't been able there to sell it, maybe go on with it? I think the, the main, the main challenge is that if you think of like, so integrated the way that we thought about it, it's, it's super complex. You know, like if, if you, if you compare it to, to Apple, I mean, it's, it's not the best example, but it's like the, the most easy one because most people know it. So you have the hardware, you build the platform iOS on top of that, and then you have your app store. And if you look in history, like how long it took them to get there, like, I mean, they, they, they you know, first it was the iPod with iTunes and all of that idea, they basically advanced it into, into the, the iPhone and combining those two platforms with the iTouch part, uh, the iPod touch. And, and they only first you had, all you, you could buy was, was, was music. Then the first 10 apps on the iPhone were just like phone. And that was like the predominant service for the, uh, next two years was just like messaging and, and making phone calls, like still what like smartphones used to be. And only then with like when when like the mobile internet became a thing, it was fast enough, um, as things like um, uh, routing um, and, and, and traffic um, data and stuff were added to that. And uh, now that it's like your, your, your number one uh, superpower device that everyone has, has with himself and like from emailing to FaceTiming, uh, video chatting, um, uh, bookkeeping, everything is done with the with the phone. Like it, it was a journey of like nearly fifteen to twenty years to get yeah. there, and um, doing that with um, a uh, uh, yeah yeah um, fremdkapital, so it's with with investors' money. Um, so having having um, risk capital in there, where you have a lot of pressure of returning that um, within a certain amount of time. Um, um, in, a, in an industry where we wanted to root that in Europe and Germany, where like the the money isn't given out in that amount that you can really scale quickly and build the technology and the product and the marketing and the brand that you need to make that successful, makes it very, very hard. Um, so we needed to basically try to convince um, the big telcos and utilities to, to join our forces and buy our product instead of building their own. Which is difficult when you are in a very like traditional proud industry like like um, uh, utilities. Um, they like we what what makes you small startup think that you can build it um, that we can't because like we are the guys with the deep pockets and we've been making money for the last like eighty years like hell. Um, yeah, and that dynamic is yeah, was was very difficult to solve because we the the spectrum that we had to build like from the hardware up until the, the front ends and the app store and the ecosystem and the developer community. And so it's, it's like huge, huge. So from my point of view, it was just way too big. Um, so we, um, and also if you look at the, you said um, Conrad Connect and also um, the V Butler, which is a company that, that I later, <laughs> funny enough, bought when I was um, working at Fisman. Um, they are building similar products or Telecom Kimikon. It's the, the ideas were the same and they were definitely also partially influenced by the vision that we've been putting out with, with Yetu um, uh, in back, back in the days. And uh, they still are, they don't, so none of them has ever achieved uh, of fulfilling that vision. Yep. And I also think 
the, the main reason is because the, you, you somehow needed to decide what, what is it, where you want to go. So it's like um, Connect focuses on connecting um, your actors and sensors, and that's it. So they are not focusing on like exposing that to a developer community and building up an ecosystem of apps that could leverage all those actors and sensors. So they are mainly just, they are this connected piece down there. Then you have the company connected, um, uh, yeah, which just builds the API. So it's another puzzle piece in the whole ecosystem. So then you have all these different brands around your house, like the, um, the, the things you are building, your, your shades, um, residential heating providers like Fisman, who say, okay, we, we, we also bring you our own gateway. Um, I, and we, we are just building our own silo uh, because that works and we know how that is built. So the, the, the whole idea of combining those things on one platform um, where people need to join forces and build things together is very difficult in the um, in, in a European and especially German um, environment where you have all those hidden champions which make billions and they see the need of, of combining forces and do something this big together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, yeah, interesting problem and probably not the only market where you have such a problem that like um, so many different players and challenges at the same time. That's yeah. hard, how we said on the beginning to make a good business, uh, a business plan, a good business development, a good, yeah, a good business out of it. Yeah. Even, if the yeah, even if you look like, 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 I don't know if you remember Nest. Um, Google, uh, yeah, Google Hub. Exactly. So they 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 started with without being like bought by Google. They just had this this the, the, the smart thermostat, um, which was designed for the American market, where you just have one thermostat, which um, this central uh, central heating for your entire building. And still, I mean, even even when they were acquired and bought by by Google, and then later changed to Google Home, they still didn't manage to to um, become or to to build the dominance that that in the end iOS and Android have, have achieved um, around the, the mobile space. So even for them, it's very hard to 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 create that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Probably because the, the iOS and the Android usage is is easier to understand, easier to implement, it's closer to you. Like this yeah. home management system, it's kind of a bit out Okay, it would be cool, but it's probably hard to yeah. implement. It's it's probably I, also a bit far away to be a Jarvis, like Iron Man style. You go in and like <laughs> you talk to your house the whole time. That's probably the vision, but um, there's probably Amazon with Alexa closer to on it than... Yeah. Than all the other companies and Amazon has the power, their money again. The ecosystem works because they push them out by a loss. If I remember right, echoes up yeah, yeah, they, definitely. Yeah. under the, the producing costs with the idea yeah. if you use that, you buy on Amazon and then they get the revenue on, on something else. And if they get it with yeah. Amazon Web Services, so <laughs> they get exactly. it somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's. Uh, I also think that, that with your house, you, you don't add like your your cell phone or your mobile is actually the, the the hub to the world. 
So yeah. it's yeah, yeah, it's like what what creates uh, what reduces the distance to your friends. Um, it makes it easier to shop and stuff like that. And this is like I think we haven't found the the the, the case for the house. So the way that I now like with a little distance look at that and um, is many uh, me as a house owner or someone as a house renter. I don't want to take care. I mean, if, as long as the house takes care of itself, this is great. Yeah. I mean, this is a service that, that I would pay for. So if the house knows that my heating system needs a, um, a, a, a maintenance, yeah, dear house, please call the guy who can do the maintenance and uh, use the smart lock to open the door. If we know it's a trustworthy guy because he's like authenticated, uh, then he can perform the maintenance. Great. And leave again when he is done. And um, the, the same is true, like if like my house detects that there is going to be a thunderstorm and uh, that certain windows are still open and it's coming from the wrong side. So uh, the house should close the windows. I, 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 I mean, maybe at the beginning, I'm even interested in the notification that something was done by the house. But eventually I, I'm not even interested because it should just work. And I think this, the, this thinking is, is something that we never really applied properly because we always thought there were like so many touch points with a smart home for people. Well, that's not true. The only touch point that you really have is like start music, stop music, start the TV, stop the TV. Exactly. Turn off the light. And how, how long till my dinner is done, right? Exactly. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's also an issue like with the solar panels. It's it's um, way easier business model because it's easier to calculate the profit of it. So this whole yeah. system, the whole business model from Solar World, no, not Solar World, from Solar City, for example, that you yeah. don't buy the, the panels, you rent them, and they take care of the whole service and of everything, which is really yeah. close to what you described right now. It's way easier to sell to people because you can calculate them. Hey, you make this, you save this amount on the on the energy bill, and yada yada yada. Yeah. With a smart home, it's a way harder calculation because probably you don't save so much money. Maybe some. Yeah. Um, it's just a lot of f side effects of things which don't happen, which would have happened if. Yeah. If, like, and then this is this is a hard hard thing to sell. Um, yeah, yeah. I think we there's a lot like potential that we haven't dipped into, like with uh, insurances, yeah, yeah, and, and, and water leakages, and then there is other things like um, uh, if you had a, a ledger that tells you that your house was maintained on a regular basis and what changes have been made to the house. Um, uh, so that people could actually trust that ledger and use it when you want to sell your house or you want to offer it. And uh, so there's a lot of things uh, and use cases that don't have nothing to do with your daily interaction with your house, but HDR, which is much more long-term or about like keep, keeping and enhancing the value of your property yeah. is is the, the much better use case. And We didn't think like that. Uh, also, what, what we haven't thought about, it that, that is, which is an important use case, is, for example, like elderly care, which yeah. is such an interesting area. And it's basically the same technology. It's like all actors and sensors, a lot of things that you can tell about behavior patterns, right? You know, your, 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 your um, um, uh, uh, demental uh, grandmother, when she wakes up at night and usually she goes to the fridge and opens the fridge and you get that pattern and everything is great. But then one day she doesn't open the fridge, but like the photo, <laughs> you 
Yeah, you, you better get a notification and send someone over having a look whether she's all right or whether she's like wandering around the, the streets uh, being lost. Yeah, uh, yeah so definitely. A lot of use cases that I think are worth to explore that we just didn't think of back in the days uh, that yeah. would have created much more value. And even if you have thought of it, it would be still hard, again, certain industries to get into it, open them up for innovation. That's uh, especially if there's players already in the market, the, yeah. the, hidden, the hidden champions, how you call them. Yeah. yeah. Hard to convince them. And if I remember right, you, you, you changed them to a hidden champion, right? <laughs> um, uh, what did I do? No, at that point in time, I didn't. I, I, I had two very dark adventures. <laughs> <laughs> I, I first went into mobile advertising and then into gaming. Okay. Um, but we, we can keep, keep those episodes short. Um, so I, I, I then went to Fiber um, as director of engineering. I was running their engineering department. And the main challenge there was um, uh, re-architecting the whole system um, because it was like um, back in the days, we, we always said at Fiber, we are running like the biggest MySQL instance in Europe. And I always try to convince everyone that this is nothing that we should, proud of, should be proud of. <laughs> Um, uh, so we, we had to deconstruct the system, distribute it globally into um, uh, like different data centers uh, so that we, um, because um, like latency is super important in mobile marketing, uh, in mobile advertisement, um, there was real-time bidding involved. So like, um, uh, like we knew that in a game, a certain display ad um, uh, could, be, could be displayed in, I don't know, five, five seconds. Um, so um, bots were able to bid on that and then uh, like the highest bidding bot kit could play the advertisement out there. Um, so in, in terms of technology and high throughput systems, this was like the most interesting challenge I've, I've um, ever worked on uh, together with an um, uh, amazing team. Um, however, um, they, like advertisement was Technically challenging, but from a business point of view, nothing that I that I really enjoyed working with. Um, so it's it's yeah, it's like advertising. You yeah. you basically target people and send them stuff that they don't really want and make them make them spend more money on stuff that is neither good for the globe nor for anyone else. So I, I really like would would never work in that industry again. Um, although the challenge was still interesting, and I. Uh, The team was great. The company was culturally in a, in a good in a good place. So I enjoyed working there, but it's like the industry I, I just don't want to work in anymore. Okay. And um, so um, and then from there I went to Gamigo and became CTO there. Okay. And at Gamigo, um, I I, um, I became CTO because I was. Um, uh, next to Fiverr Freelance Consulting um, during the M&A process when Gamigo was buying area games in Berlin. Um, so the proceedings at Ions Gaming um, uh, arm. And that was that company was, was losing a lot of money, uh, was way too big. And so, um, yeah, I basically um, became the um, operations um, manager or, or managing director in, in Berlin for the area games part. I did that for 10 months. Um, uh, we managed to, to yeah, get it into a more or less profitable state in those um, 10 months, um, but at a, at a high price. So we were basically um, turning the company from more than 500 employees down to 127 
um, we were completely the, the entire building that we had um, uh, next to the Universal um, uh, Studios that we have in, uh, in, in, in Berlin. So right next to that was the office. Um, so out of those five floors, we, we only had one anymore. And out of the data centers that we had in Europe and in the United States, we also consolidated them and sold all the hardware. So I basically canceled all the contracts and renegotiated them. So um, yeah, like from a, um, a business economics point of view, very interesting challenge. Um, but gaming is also like a very dark industry. So a lot of criminals, a lot of like high high rollers that spend tons of money and get dissatisfied if they don't like have like their sword for 5,000 euro a month. And then it's not like having, giving them the superpowers that they were imagining. And I, so it's a difficult um, area that, that I also don't, uh, I, I couldn't explain my kids anymore why I was working in that industry. So I, I decided to, to stop that. And I, I took a break um, a couple of months uh, and freelance there, so like five months. Um, and had very interesting um, projects there. Um, so number one uh, was together with Clariant, which is a special uh, chemi uh, chemical um, uh, yeah, producer. And there um, we were working together with uh, the department of catalysts and could build a machine learning platform um, which is called Navigans. Uh, Navigans. Um, so if you, you you can Google that, it's a pretty awesome product. Um, so what we could do there is building a machine learning model um, that could um, uh, yeah could be trained for the um, processes or the chemical processes, and then forecast um, how that how the process would behave. And you could use that to optimize for certain outputs. I was thinking, I want to have now um, that that chemical I want to produce and yeah, um, a very high output without like going into the um, frame of explosions, um, is, uh, which is not a problem there because you have like burst parts that could just um, be ripped apart, but then the whole process comes to a halt. The things need to be changed, and then you have to restart the whole system. Uh, that takes time and it's very costly. We basically were building like a product where we um, used the knowledge that um, the experts of Clariant in that area had, um, uh, and we're working as consultants and um, yeah, could train our computers to actually take the role of those consultants and give recommendations on how those machines should be run. Another project that we were working on in that point. Easy yeah. time to work yourself into the whole machine learning part. Like, did you had experience before or? Um, I, I mean, I, um, it's, it's a hard task to to work with machine learning if you hadn't done it before. <laughs> let's say it. In a, I mean, I, I I always had a hand for for mathematics. Um, okay. So it's uh, this type of things come quite easy to me. And again, I mean, it was just not it wasn't just me. So we 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 were assembling a team, um, and then the the whole machine learning experts, um, like the experts itself about the process, were employed with with Clarion. Uh, so we could um, uh, like dip into that potential, and just just assembling the right team there was the main challenge, bringing them together and um, uh, getting the engineers um, talk to the experts to extract the right information, and then like. Drilling down like the the one thousand five hundred sensor data is all that huge machine and finding out these are like the fifty relevant ones and out of those relevant ones how can we train that that one 
with um, uh, the interesting challenge uh, we did together with videos. Yeah, it was a great experience. And I, it's hard for me to judge whether someone else has more difficulties with that. For me, that was, <laughs> so, I enjoyed the challenge. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good point. But how, how do you how do you build the team? Like, how do you choose wood joints? What are your your criterias? Um, so number one is the people really need to want to do it. Okay. So uh, there need to be a, a, a inner urge of, of uh, so, uh, how I always say it is they need to fall in love with the problem. Yeah. Um, if they really love the problem, we are good, but you're, everything else can be learned. Yeah. And um, of course, it's uh, you, you don't start with like total dumpsters who just like the challenge. Um, so it's, we always look for a team that is quite diverse. Um, so I always try to say we need someone who knows the business and the market and has a good network uh, so that we can go and ask for help. Yeah. Um, uh, we, need, we need experts to really like, like I mean, in that area, you can need people who, who have like um, studied chemical. Uh, yeah. So you, you cannot do that with, without that. So no, nobody can like make up a complete study um, within a couple of months. So you need those people. Um, and, and you need um, like software engineers who have built challenging systems before. Yeah, so like you, are, you can deal with an insecurity, you can live with the fact that they need to build up the knowledge but they, they who rely on the knowledge of the expert that they're working with. Yeah. And then we always also look for, for certain character traits. Um, so the model that I, that I like to use a lot is... Um, Uh, the, the the animals I don't know if you've heard about it so there, there's like uh, the owl and then there's the, the dolphin the shark and the whale and everyone has certain character traits and if you build a team you, you need all, all four of them uh, which is uh, a quite powerful model which is very simple but usually yields very good teams where, where needs someone to look for if they want to know more about this model Ah, I, I, I can look up that later. Okay. Um, well, there are very good YouTube talks on that, that you so can put in your, that's, your reference that's, list. It's yeah. your homework for the reference list. Yeah, um, yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Okay. Um, yeah, diversity, a, a team of um, diverse knowledges, diverse people, and then all love the problem. That's also a good point. And yeah. then probably if you stay in the agile world, you have some someone as a PO, like guides a bit the team and then yeah. you probably let them run let them let them go cool yeah so man you have quite <laughs> quite a yeah. journey <laughs> quite a journey yeah and, and then after that i decided yeah. to join this and become cpo and cto at, at vco uh, which is like the digital arm of this this one is like one of the three biggest heating or uh, residential heating providers in the world um, I had the honor to also participate in, in the board meetings and um, yeah, influence the strategy of this one, um, especially in the digital space a lot. Um, building a team in Berlin, uh, working together with the IT departments and, and Watzlaff and uh, in uh, Allendorf, which is where the headquarters of this one. Um, doing that for two years, um, building 60 digital products, um, most of them successful. 
Yeah, and um, but then uh, the moment we we wanted to reintegrate that whole thing into the into the group, um, uh, yeah, it's I again hit the hit the wall where I said that I really love building stuff. I don't like managing stuff. Yeah. It would have been more managing um, after like the the base structure was built. And uh, so we decided again that uh, it's, it's after two years that's that's not my role anymore. And uh, yeah. And I so, said, I, I, I've done enough, so I should build my own company now. That's what I did then. <laughs> so, but um, this one so it's like a big uh, heating company, or like they've, I think they built heating systems, right? If I remember right. Yeah, yeah. Re uh, main, mainly residential heating systems. Yeah, they also they, have industrial heating, but it's mainly residential yeah. heating. And that's they have that's also their core a, business. A big part in the book, uh, Silicon Germany, which is definitely worth a read. Um, so what was what was your your idea then to to help them uh, to navigate into the digital world? Like, what was your input there? What was your strategy? Your um, approach. So my my when I started, that was like the pre uh, um, Max was taking over. So that was when when still um, Martin was mainly in charge. So Fisman uh, Senior. And I was um, the moment then when, when Max was was taking over, becoming co CEO. That was also like the three months before um, was when when I joined. And during well, the phase where I joined, we already had a lot of discussions around what would be the, the future like purpose and goal. And me, after like having that experience being CTO of a gaming company, that I, I just need something that that I can connect to that, that I really thing that where can can make a difference for the for the world and uh, what what became or what what max came up with uh, is basically um uh, create living um, spaces for generations to come on um, which i think a lot of people have heard now from one or the other channel and that was something that i really could connect to because i mean i'm, I'm a family guy i've got five kids um, so create living spaces for generations to come is something that is actually pretty close to my heart um, so there's a huge chance with changing the way heating technology works and um, how we smartly apply the changes there um, is something that definitely could, could, could help preserving the planet um, and, and um, create a change. So I decided to dive into that. And uh, yeah, uh, when, when I started, what we found out is uh, it was pretty much a blank sheet um, so we didn't have a real product roadmap or strategy. And uh, so what we did in the first couple of weeks, um, eight weeks or so, we basically tried to build the, the digital strategy. So say, okay, what, what is it that, what are our customer groups? So we have installers and we have um, customers, so people who really use it and, and, and consumers. And um, maybe on the long run, we also have like governmental services. So um, uh, information just based on the um, uh, uh, data that we get out of the heating systems, we know now in, in which geolocation there is a need to um, uh, like support more uh, getting away from, from oil uh, into like a cleaner way of using gas or maybe completely moving way into um, a completely regenerational um, heating um, or promoting the, the fuel cell um, where you can use gas to actually produce electricity. Um, based on that data, we could 
give good advice to to utilities and other people to how to change to shape the grid grid for yeah. example yeah. Um, so now ha having those segments we were basically looking into the existing um uh, uh yeah activities that, that we had and applications that we had which were quite diverse and now we like merged them together into into um, the main focus activities that we wanted to go with. So one of them was the vCare, which is the consumer app mm -hmm. um, uh, that uh, people could use to configure and manage their um, uh, heating system in their home. And then we had the uh, B2B portal um, uh, where we said, okay, this is some a service, well, the home for all the products and services in the digital space that we're going to build for the installers. And um, one of the products that we built in that context, for example, was um, VStart, our application that you could use to um, uh, put your system into operations. Yeah. So it's very cumbersome when like the installation yeah. is done and then you need to like bring up the system and put in all the parameters and everything. And um, so usually this is done in sellers, which have a very limited height. And it's a yeah, very bad working environment. So being able to like, just standing there doing this on your phone and not like having to tip it into the display uh, was already a huge improvement for installers. Yeah. And there's like, like a bunch of things that, yeah, that cool. uh, um, yeah. originated out of that. Um, but that was um, a highly strategical um, uh, uh, yeah, role, yeah, but also operational because we, we also changed completely the way the different departments were working together. So we had the core IT in Allendorf and then like the extended workbench in, 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 in um, Roslav. And we had all the product management in, in, in Berlin that then somehow needed to make sure that those teams work smoothly together. So again, we were trying to establish a, a work style where we said, okay, we have we have um, uh, yeah, base camps, a team that really like work for one product and technology and they, do this together and, and can own it and then we have cross-cutting concerns where we build like expeditions so that um, people for a um, temporary point in time can, can in, uh, become a team for like 12 weeks fulfill their mission and then go back into their base camps so a lot of thought and, and how we uh, get a couple of uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> more than more than 100 developers I think it was 250-ish something wow, yeah. together and 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 um, build software in a collaborative way, and um, um, build also for understand and follow the roadmap, and understanding like how the puzzle pieces in the roadmap eventually like fit together into one big picture. It was super interesting and a very very like challenging and enjoyable approach. Yeah, yeah. What what I really liked is you really dive deep into the product and think thought about like how how you can bring USPs with digitalization to it. Um, that's a really good treat. So in general, what, how you would define digitalization? Like what is digitalization for you? Um, yeah, there's, there's a difference for me between digitalization and digital expansion. Um, so usually, um, so the way we distinguish that is um, digitalization is um, when you make like, work processes that currently are analog and put them into the digital world. So it's like introducing a CRM system or um, like getting away from certain Excel files into better tooling that is like was meant to do the task. Um, and that's what uh, we see a lot of companies struggling with right now. So it's like just 
moving away um, from the from their folders in their office so to really have just documents on the drive and um, digitally uh, and having digital workflows this yeah. is this is for me digitalization yeah and then there is um, what what we call digital expansion which is like adding to your core business um, uh, products uh, that leverage internet technology and digital technology but it's like additional revenue based on that technology and it's a, it's an addition to to your core products so it goes on, on on top of that um and leverages the existing infrastructure which is especially important for hardware manufacturers who like they they, they build that uh, and they they have they, they build a lot of infrastructure and um that's why they have a lot of um, potential for being disrupted by people who just go over the top and leverage the infrastructure that they still will continue to provide um but other people will like have um uh, just leverage on top of that we get rid of all the complexity because they don't need it someone else is providing uh, all the difficult stuff with manufacturing and um managing um uh, the stocks and everything that, that is that, that comes with, with with building physical products um uh, and i think there's a huge huge chance for for um these these companies um uh, like machine builders uh, we have a lot of them in germany to to expand their business in their field in yeah. with, with digital products and um, taking that chance i think is is important but a lot of people really need to need to understand that it's not just making their workflows digital but there's yeah. something else that they need to do yeah. to shape the market and open the market for digital services and products in their respective Field. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And um, there would be a worry also in the third one that you could build a product from a scratch, which is not building on anything else. But that's probably then one of the hardest things you can do. Um, it's, yeah, because you, you're moving completely out of your comfort exactly. zone. So exactly. it's like building on top what you know is you can always like go back and uh, uh, feel a little bit more cozy because you know what, exactly. what you're talking about in your area. And building something completely new is is super challenging. Yeah, yeah I know. And uh, but just just as a as a as a reminder, uh, Nokia was once building uh, tires, I think. <laughs> so <laughs> before they built yeah. phones, and um, without like putting out of the context that they are not really relevant anymore, not so relevant um, anymore yeah. how they have been. And um, yeah, also like an interesting point. Um, from um, a business, a famous business writer, he wrote, "It's it's more important to to hire the talent than what you do actually, because what you do yeah. or what you work on can change. So, but you need to, the people you trust that you know, no matter what, in which direction I go. Yeah. The same what you said, like the loving the problem and uh, ha having some 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 passion about it. Then it's it's more important that like the people are good than." The exact thing you're working on right now definitely uh, you have quite some experience as cto so what makes a good cto for you and like ah <laughs> uh, that that depends a lot on what's the current need of the company so i i can say what what i what i think what what i would do or what i what i would always try to do so it's understanding uh deeper this I create a deep understanding of 
what are the products and what is it that you can do for the people that use your products. And um, because if, if I look at the company, it's always like you have the, the purpose of the company, out of that purpose follows the strategy, out of that strategy follows the product strategy, and out of the product strategy follows the tech strategy. And the most volatile thing in that is the tech. So everything that we need to build um, uh, from a technology point of view is um, uh, is like, is it a Kafka or is it derivative queue? Doesn't really matter as long as it supports the product strategy well enough, and as long as you don't like have to rebuild your system every other week, uh, but you basically can can change it, adapt it flexibly. And uh, this is, I think, um, creating that understanding and making sure that like the entire team understands what's th that their role is to understand the business and support the business as best as possible without like shutting down opportunities later on. Um, building the, the quality, and this is like, I, I couldn't put that high enough. And this is what I've always said. It's like the quality comes, comes first from an engineering perspective. This is like our number one responsibility to whatever we build. We build it right. No matter if we change it tomorrow or in two weeks, when we build it, we build it right so that people can use it safely and feel good when using it. And um, so what I, I would encourage um, uh, always is um, make sure that you give focus to your team, that they understand their role and that they focus on building a quality right, right from the start. And be consistent with your messaging and challenge your, 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 <laughs> your other C-level partners. <laughs> yeah. Definitely, especially if they don't have so much knowledge in a technical technology field like you. And choosing the right technology is a challenge in itself. Like if you check in retrospective, if you program something in Delphi or in Cobalt or something, <laughs> and you're yeah. highly depending on it and you didn't make the jump <laughs> off of it, you're getting in more and more trouble. And um, That's the nature of, of this tech world. It changes all the time. It, it improves and changes all the time. And then, how you said, you need to be stay open to what's yeah. going on. Definitely, yeah. You already mentioned you, you have five kids. How do you handle in all this work the, <laughs> the famous work-life balance? <laughs> Yeah, we, we even call it now life work balance in our company. <laughs> so to That's emphasize that, that, that we live in the first place and, and work is something that, that should be fulfilling and make you happy as well. Um, so how am I making that? So number one is I have to give like the, the biggest shout out and kudos to my wife because she's definitely doing uh, with regards to our kids, the heavy lifting. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I couldn't like have built that career or also my current company um, without her support or without having her knowing that she is like having my back with taking care of the kids most of the time. Um, how, however, um, what I was um, trying, especially when I stopped working for FISMAN and building um, and started building tech consulting, I really right from the start said that I want to have a four, four day work week most of the time and then only with exceptions I gonna work five days so that there's one more day uh, which isn't necessarily for the family but which I can take like also to recharge my own batteries because it's like it's a pity for my family and kids if I'm always super exhausted on the weekends and I actually need the weekend to recover before I actually have energy to spend time with them 
so having that one more day um, a week uh, to recharge myself and um, calm down and be then fully charged and um, full of energy to do something cool with my kids is is super um, important. And yeah, it's like I, I what I can also say about my kids is like treat them as persons as much as you can <laughs> right from the start. Um, because it's they, they are so so grateful and they t- will tell you exactly what they want and what they need if you just treat and respect them right from the start. And um, even if you say no to them, you, you should always like understand like what is it that they want that you should tell them why why you say no at that particular moment. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's spending time with them and putting making making you searching for yourself a work uh, that allows you to like put emphasis on your family is is a creative environment where this is possible is is like from my point of view key to to having a fulfilled life in 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 both ways like in work and in in family life yeah which is hard it sounds so simple (laughs) but it's not easy (laughs) that's probably also something you built up like um probably on the beginning of your career it would be hard to do a four days week i'm guessing maybe i'm wrong um but if you say i have this goal to go in the direction of a life work balance and i want to go off on a four days week uh, work week then you're probably able to to have this in a later step of your career where you have a certain standing, you prove certain values and um, it's easier to negotiate certain things. I'm, I'm guessing on this point. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, we, we are trying to make that different at, at Tech Consulting. We actually um, have a, the purpose that we put out there is that, that we want to live in a world where uh, work should be um, uh, fulfilling and make you happy. And this is like the, the purpose number one. Um, and this is what we are trying to live up to. So the four-day week um, counts for every employee hmm. uh, that, that we oh, have. Okay. okay. And uh, we, we also go with uh, um, f- 40 days of vacation uh, every year uh, because it's, we really think that it's it, it's not about like how much time you put into, but it's like the quality of the yeah. work that you deliver yeah. that is creating the value. And it's, it's really like re- results for, for, for capacity. It's, it's not about people spending as much time as they can working, but it's about yeah. like how they work and what is the result of what yeah. the work that they, that they are creating. And if, as long as they are creating value for the customer, um, this is, and they like what they're doing. Um, this is much better in having them like having time to reflect, um, recharging their, their batteries so that they can sustain, uh, can sustain all that, that they have enough time um, without sacrificing their family life. Um, uh, this makes, from my point of view, much happier employees and much happier employees like produce much better results. Yeah. Um, and that's why we are trying to make that different. Um, for exactly the same reason, because the major part of my career, I've been working like 70 to 90 hour weeks. And, yeah. um, I was definitely a strain to myself and my family, and I no longer want that. And I really also think that there is not so much value in that, uh, because it's not the amount of time that you put in, but if it's the amount of 
quality time that you have on reflecting and thinking because like most of the ideas a good idea that i have actually had i have when i am sitting on my bike or when i do one climbing trips with my partner or when i um have time to just let my brain do some work in the background for me um, when i just can make it shut up and it's it's mainly also to figure out what's the important thing to do it's not like Yeah. To work 90 hours, it's sometimes way more important to think, okay, what's the really important thing I should do now? And yeah. um, you do mainly consulting in your company, right? Um, yeah, we, we currently are do, doing mainly consulting, but we are um, uh, excessively discussing to cut out the consulting out of the name to be more flexible and also changing that that um, business model. Um, so it doesn't have to be consulting on the long run, but currently it is it is consulting mainly. Because yeah. it's also an interesting discussion with your customer to tell them, oh, by the way, uh, we have a four-day week here. So, yeah. because in my experience, consultancy can also be really time heavy if a customer, yeah, wants to have yeah. you in mainly every meeting he ever will do <laughs> from now on. <laughs> you should be yeah. part of it. <laughs> yeah, that happens, but we, we are very transparent um, in, in, in how we work and why we work that way and why we believe that this is yielding better results. And so far, like all clients that we have actually, um, share that opinion at least after they've worked together with us for a while um so that's it it, it, it definitely is what one thing that differentiates us from other consultancies <laughs> yeah it's a good thing i really like the concept what, what do you do to, to recharge your batteries um i I've got like three main hobbies that, that I do, and this is like running. I do run like a lot because this is also what, what I wanted to become a professional athlete with. Um, uh, cycling, like cycling on, on, on road bikes and mountain climbing. Um, so and, um, all three of them I do together with my best friend and um, a business partner, Timo. So that's a, a good way of combining also our personal lives with the company strategy yeah. and one of the things, ne next things that we should do, how should the culture look like, uh, how fast should we grow, stuff like that. We usually discuss during those trips. Which that's that's good. That's good. Especially if you're both fine with it uh, to combine the hobby and the work and like, but like the four... Uh, Oh, they week work week should should do a nice thing for that. Yeah, I, I like I like the concept. I like it really much. Um, what would you say are your favorite books? Favorite books. So um, that so far for like relaxation, um, I uh, like a lot of like fantasy stuff, uh, but also like medieval fiction. So the can fall it or something. I really like. Throw out and whatever names you came in your head. There's no boundaries yeah. and, and category. <laughs> and then it's um, uh, books that really like sparked my, my interest and my idea. It's like Reinventing Organization from Frederic Laloux. I really like that one. Um, and the theory about like evolution of organizations and um, what that will do and can do for our work life. Um, I'm a huge fan of Simon Sinek. Um, so Infinite Game, his last book is is great. But either, leaders eat last, also great. Um, and I uh, one book that we also just recently posted on LinkedIn is that Never Splits the Difference, uh, which is like if if you 
this is like the most comprehensive guide to proper negotiation and communication, like communication with results. Like it's one thing that he claims as as that's what he's teaching in that book. Um, Chris Ross is the author. Uh, this is just like I reread this book on a regular basis, and it's just like an, an awesome thing. Um, another book that I always like opening up again and again is um, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yeah. That also really like helps me correcting certain weaknesses that I can observe with myself. Um, so yeah, that's, are there, yeah, there are a lot of other inspirations that are uh, books that I use for inspiration, like build to last, um, from good to great. So it's like a lot of, I would just say it's standard, but yeah, it really depends I think who you talk to. <laughs> And it's also a good point, what you said, which I also like to do to reread the books, the good books, because you normally yeah. figure out new things you didn't saw. And on the first read, which just yep. shows that you like, yeah, you have new challenges, you grow, and then good books provide always something new, even if it's yep. the same book. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Yep. <laughs> and my last question for for the podcast now is: uh, What kind of advice would you give to your 18 year old self if you could go back in time, talk to yourself? What would you Say, um, yeah, just just be be, be yourself, be, be like your, your true self, and stick with it. And um, uh, I mean that's that's amazing. And may, maybe the, the listening part. So listen, lis listen to understand and understand and seek to understand first. Uh, so the, the, those those two things. Don't, don't try to be someone else. And, and listen to other people. That's, that's I think, are the main two advices. Ah, that's also all the two advices that I give to my kids most of the time. So that's probably pretty appropriate. <laughs> listen to other people, especially to me. Try <laughs> 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 yeah. to understand yeah. me. <laughs> and uh, would it be different uh, advice for your 30-year-old self? Yeah, my 30-year-old self, I would definitely tell that I should just be pay, be more patient or oh, you know that that was the time when i was just way just impatient enough and uh, yeah just getting angry too quickly and um also like um uh, not just of being right to other people uh because i was angry uh, this is something i i even regret i mean well for most people i i caught them and, and asked for forgiveness <laughs> um but it's uh, something that could have been easily avoided and I, i shouldn't have done that at this point in time so yeah be more patient to my 30 year old jacob <laughs> that's some really good advice jacob it was an absolute pleasure thank you very much Thanks. and yeah. um I would say uh, hear you next time, guys, and bye-bye. Uh, bye-bye. <laughs>